start a fire, I'm burning diesel, burning dinosaur bones. It's time for part two of our Clean Transportation Month mini-series. And today, we're shifting to the why behind the work of electrifying heavy-duty trucks. Pollution from trucks makes people sick, and it's critical to learn from the leaders working to stop the harm and break the trucking industry's dependency on fossil fuels. I'm your host, Jess Phoenix, and this is Science. I'm delighted to join co-director of the West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project, Ms. Margaret Gordon, here in their offices in West Oakland, California. Ms. Margaret was one of the founders of the organization and has dedicated her life to working for just, equitable, and community-led solutions to the environmental and health issues that affect West Oakland so deeply. In addition, she was appointed by the mayor to the Oakland Port Commission and served for five years in that capacity as well as on various EPA and state planning committees. Now, the Port of Oakland is the fifth busiest port in the United States. It's central to the shipping of goods throughout California and the Western US. Moving those goods requires a lot of heavy duty trucks, which are notorious for polluting the air, creating noise and traffic, and directly harming communities that have had truck routes carved right through their centers. Ms. Margaret, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about West Oakland. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this. Um, I think that the word that's not being said yet is the cumulative impact of having multiple transportation modes that impact West Oakland based on the Port of Oakland. There's the trucks, there are the trains, there's the ships and the cargo handling equipment that still are using uh, fossil fuels. So um, even though the Port of Oakland, half of the docks, I think now are electrified, they plug in, but the trains, the trucks, and their cargo handling equipment has been slowly removed with zero emission, but it's so slow, it's almost like a snail crawl. So it's just a little bit of, there's a little bit here, a little bit there. And so it's not not a real master plan. And that's what we've been fighting for the port for years to come up with a master plan of how they are going to move fossil fuels out of the, as part of the energy that they need to move the, the goods. I asked Sam Wilson, Senior Vehicles Analyst at Union of Concerned Scientists, to give us a quick overview of West Oakland and its role as a shipping hub. West Oakland is a seven square mile mixed use community with around 25,000 residents and also home to over 30 schools and daycares. Uh, the community experiences one of the highest air pollution burdens in California, largely due to it being flanked on all sides by interstates. And with the Port of Oakland being just to the south, uh, the port hosts thousands of semi trucks carrying shipping containers as well as large cargo ships, freight trains, and cargo equipment, uh, all burning diesel fuel. Um, air, air pollution from these sources is uh, a primary reason for the significant higher rates 
of asthma, cancer, heart disease, and strokes, as well as lower life expectancy in West Oakland compared to the surrounding neighborhoods. West Oakland has a community of 24,000 plus people. So you have almost a third of the community who are inundated 24-7 by traffic. We are, some of our communities are less than a block away from the freeway entrance and exits and also the entrance and exits to where the trucks go in and out of the port. That is way too close. And I say I live next to a freeway in L.A., so I, I sympathize with what happens with that pollution, that black soot that gets on everything when you're near shipping areas. Have you seen the health impacts on the community? Well, we know that um, one out of five children between the ages of zero and five end up in emergency hospital for respiratory problems. I know that many of the elementary schools in the area, there's only about five of them in childcare centers. Um, many children have uh, their inhalers with their name on it and the nurse's office or the teacher's office for children to use when they want to go outside and play and when they come back inside and play. We know that the neighborhood clinic, West Oakland Health Clinic, uses, uh, spend more money for in their pharmacy on asthma medication and diabetes medication. But also, uh, I would like the audience to know one of the reasons why the name Indicators is in our, is in our operational name, because we measure stuff. We have made it a primary and centralized issue to have the data, work from data and research as a focus to be able to address these issues. And we've been doing that from the beginning, and that was how I got involved, learning new ways of how to identify issues in in this community when I moved here in 1992 with some young young people, and with students at, U, at uh, UC Berkeley, the Institute of Urban Re Regional, De uh, Regional Development, and with the Pacific Institute, how to uh, address these things in a much more transitional or transformative way that nobody else had done by having evidence, having yeah. facts, being able to speak language of the agencies, being speak the language of the port-related businesses, being able to speak to the city, the feds, about these issues. So one of the things that has happened over the years, we have been able to apply ourselves and our work based on having that research and data. We don't do a project without the research and data. That actually is perfect, because I was going to ask you, how has science played a role in your fight? And you just answered that. Part of the thing is that asking the right question that's exactly it. You got to know what to ask. Yes, because nobody is coming to tell us, giving us that information. We have to have the right question. And then also, after we get the question, how do we transform that into some reform of public policy? Yeah. That's a, that is the 
pathway to making change. And that if you don't have, um, and it's, hard, it's, a, it's a job, it's hard work uh, to be consistent and contributing and have a contribution to certain issues and concerns of a community when you have that type of work. resources, tools, skills, investment, funding. It takes all that on not short-term, medium-term, and long-term. And that it has to, you have to have this balancing act at all times. West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project. So you work on different goals, and one of them's like getting these shipping companies to switch to electric trucks. And so who do you usually work with? I mean, port officials, government officials, shipping companies? All of them. All of them? <laughs> we, have, we developed a methodology that was more inclusive of how we would partner, how we would coordinate and collaborate. So that's something different. And that's, uh, and that's what the scientists, academia, consultants, engineers, anybody come through that door, that is our baseline. And also asking the right question. And also, why are you here? Because people come here for different expectations. And we want to be able to address the expectation as we see fit as having the power of the t making change. It has to be collaborative because you living in the community, working here, know it best. And the scientists can help, but they don't know the community the way the people living here do. Uh, no, they don't. And they, universities and colleges are not really training planners, engineers, software people, people going in communication, people going into the scientists. When you want to work with community, you got to have a certain skill set. And it has been now for uh, over 20 years. We have taken the time to develop a curriculum to give them those insights. I do a lot of traveling across the United States to emphasize that need for the uh, those, especially in agencies, who not have had an introductory or orientation to what it is to work with an impacted community. We have developed a curriculum called Process for Solutions, whereas that we take baby steps with individuals or groups and walk them through how you are supposed to be engaging the community, the impacted community, and how do you conduct yourself. And if you don't know, don't make an assumption. Because when you make an assumption, you're making an ass out yourself. So not, we don't want you to be assuming anything. Ask, keep asking the question. So that's been our role uh, to achieve all the, the things that we have done around public policy and make a change. Whereas that, if you see on the walls of this room, you can see at the top is a, a gray, and then it get wider as you come down. That's what's in people's houses. That's what's inside them. That is particular matter. That's not dirt. Because yeah. no dirt can fly up that high. Because <laughs> we don't open up these windows that often. HVAC systems have not been put in everybody's houses. Mm. Everybody does not have air conditioning. So we have to live with training people. Close your windows if you, close, if you live close to the streets. Oof. And you have to keep your windows closed. But we are in the process of through our AB 617 action plan. How do we have public policy that any housing that's built close to 
a stationary or mobile source facility, that indoor foot filtration is must be added to that builder. I wanted to know a bit more about what sort of goods move through the Port of Oakland and what makes it so important since it's been the cause of so much harm to local communities. Here's Sam to fill us in. The Port of Oakland is among uh, the 10 busiest ports in the United States, handling over 2 million containers annually. Oakland is uh, the primary export hub for agricultural products coming out of California's Central Valley, like fruits, nuts, wine, and refrigerated meats, with most of it heading for Asia. Imports, on the other hand, tend to be more in the consumer products realm. Oakland is somewhat unique among American ports in that 90% cargo entering and leaving the port does so by semi-truck rather than a freight train. Uh, the millions of drayage truck runs to and from the port annually is a significant contributor to the harmful air pollution and traffic in West Oakland neighborhood. What would zero-emission trucks do for the community? Well, we, uh, well, first of all, we had to identify block by block hyperlocal data to uh, to say what is happening block by block with trucks. So we had to go and get the data and the research together so we can talk area by area because the very air quality, nor the uh, California Air Resources Board, nor the US EPA who deals with air had that type of in-depth, on-the-ground research and data. Yeah, hyper-local. So we had to, we worked with um, technical people who supported us and giving us that information. It was more innovative and being able to identify what is happening on each block where trucks are coming in and out. Yeah, exactly. You gotta be able to make the case with data and say, look, we got it. This is what we need. Right, right. And, and and also we have, as um, one of the things that we have created in our methodology, we, we own our own air. We're owning our own air. So we want to be able to be in the lead to talk about air. Yeah. So our 86-1 project is, is called Owning Our Own Air. We have been able, because of that methodology of having the research and data, we have been able to have this place in environmental justice and with, uh, with institutions and regulators technical people that when you come, you have to come with, the, like I said, the right question. And having a partner agreement, that isn't something else also. How money is going to be spent? Who owns the information that you're gathering? Who gets to, who gets to present it? How is it going to be distributed? When is going to be dis distributed? Even if stuff in the draft, we also have the, uh, we put in the partner agreement. We also get to edit anything that's not pertaining to what we thought or what we put time in. We will make those corrections. Mm. That seems like essential to the process. Yes, because people, we know that everybody wants, lots of people want to do their things quick and dirty. No, we don't. No. It, it just makes me think because there's different bills, there's different legislation about this stuff. So are you seeing private industry step up to the plate and partner to try to get more electric trucks? I have 
been in rooms or, or the, there was the dialogue, the discussion, and the conversation. But as the follow through, why we always still have 19 electric trucks at, at the Port of Oakland. Wow. That's not enough at all. <laughs> and also with all the federal money right now, IRA, we developed, we as West Oakland Environmental Indicators and Earth Justice, Union Concerned Sciences, um, several uh, cal uh, e e Environmental Defense Fund, Mm -hmm. came up with doing a collaborative. UC Berkeley, so it was about 12 or 14 or organizations came together yeah, just to support the port of Oakland to get grants for emission reduction. It's not a just about, we, we just uh, rubber stamp a yeah. grant. No, we're not rubber stamping any grants. Mm -hmm. And that the port got to have more transparency and accountability to us. So for all these I all these federal grants, we have said if you can't show us whole benefits or, or, or benefits of agreement to us, we're not signing. What I'm hearing is that they need to be anything around solving these issues needs to be transparent, accountable, and actionable. Like it actually has to happen. Yes. Otherwise it's just it's just fluff. And you can't ignore that because, I mean, a lot of these problems come from the fact that there was intentional economic and racial discrimination with redlining and with let's let's put people near the undesirable areas, the people who don't have the voice. And so this is part of a huge effort to take the voice back, use data and make things actually happen. Right. Because historically, uh, they did when the, when the port was started being developed in the 1900s. There was no real issue about health, right? And health problems came in when FHA in 1937 started developing the freeways mm. and being more involved with the mode of transportation. So we had to go all the way back to 1937 to identify why is that the mode of transportation, the freeways and highways, were always put with people of color, black people. American Indians, Latinos, poor white people were in uh, in certain areas of cities. Why? Because that that most of that land was where those people were unincorporated. If the land is unincorporated, it's cheap because it's no tax base. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that that um, has came from that is that the, the tax base was created. Somebody made money off of putting these things in our communities. Yeah. But we work, live, play, and pray. And now get sick because yeah. of everything right. that's gone on. Right. So I, I wanted to ask you now, when, before the conversation that we're recording, you mentioned there was a few things you wanted to talk about because we have these mega ships, these ultra-large vessels, and they want to bring those in to the Port of Oakland. Can you tell me about that? They were proposing to dredge the channel. Because when you come into the port of Oakland's channel, you have to go, you have to go in further as the channel go and turn around, all ships have to turn around to be able to go out, mm. back into the bay and also to the ocean. We knew that if they came, that, that, that dredging and this amount of ships 
Well, the containers were coming in at one time. We knew that that was an impact mm -hmm. because we know also between hours of 12 and 1, ILWU workers, international long workers, longshoremen workers go on lunch break. And the trucks that there to pick up a drop-off containers are queuing up inside of the port. So we know there's a long line already uh -huh. to be getting to get in and get out. Right. And sometimes it takes up to four hours. All depends on what ship is coming in. And there's no real enforcement to make sure that once uh, the state did pass island rule, but the island rule does not uh, protect the the, uh, the the community of uh, the, of West Oakland if the island inside the gate. There's still island. And there's no enforcement. There's no enforcement. I see. Again, here's Sam Wilson with some additional insight on why we need to get these heavy-duty vehicles electrified ASAP. Heavy-duty trucks like semis, dump trucks, and box trucks are just about one-tenth of the vehicles on our roads and highways in the U.S., but they're responsible for around half of the smog-forming and lung-damaging pollution, as well as just under one-third of greenhouse gas emissions from automobiles. Electric trucks offer several benefits, including eliminating tailpipe pollution, reducing life cycle pollution by over 80% when powered by renewable energy, and significantly lower and more predictable fuel and maintenance costs for vehicle operators. If we got 19,000 containers coming in, what would, what would we look like? Some of the docks don't have gates. They still, they still depends on the streets of West Oakland to queue up. Certain parts of the port does not have enough area for all those trucks to be able to line up. Huh. So they, they, they're lined up all in the, the neighborhood, especially around 7th Street and Frontage Road. They'd be lined up around always almost to the freeway. They don't want, want to put in the EIR, the environmental report, impact report. They do not want to address that. So we are finding everywhere and anywhere how to make them address it. We already, as an organization with Oakland Environmental Indicators, have had administrative complaints on the city of, of city of Oakland and the port doing the uh, rebuilding of the former army base, okay. Oakland Army Base. We filed a Title VI and civil rights complaint because they refused to do community engagement. We might have to end up doing the same thing. And we also sued the port recently because they want to bring in this company in Canada who will bring the stuff in and make cement. Okay, then I want to cover it up. So what happened was that through a legal company, and legal lawyers from this legal company came to us and um, pursued us. We would like to do promo, pro, pro bono work with y'all. Wow. To sue them. Okay. And we won. Wow. There's no money, but they got, we got stipulations. Mm-hmm. Which is, to me, is better than money. Yeah. Money just, it goes away. But if you have that stipulation. And there's stipulations mm -hmm. for the next 10, 15 years. Okay, so. It makes me want to ask, because obviously you've been doing this for a long time. 
how are the young people in the community? Are they excited to help out? Are they? Or is it hard to get them engaged? No. No? We have made partnerships with various youth groups over the years. And we just, on December 6th, we had a Tyramount meeting. Okay. And we had three tables of youth groups bringing their stuff about how they want to be involved okay. in West Oakland or the city of Oakland mm-hmm. or their neighborhood. So people do want to get get into it. Right. Young kids. That's that's the future because we got to have everybody. You know, everybody has to join in to protect the community. It's not just one person or one small group's job. In the past, we, we have had summer programs, summer academies with the youth groups and training about environmental justice, about the port, about the freeways, the conditions of, 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 of West Oakland. So we still are continuing to do that for this next generation. Um, and um, also, um, I am working with young professionals uh, at UC Berkeley for the Rondell's Institute and, uh, and Just Cities to bring my experience to these uh, to these students who are part of the the environmental science department at UC Berkeley. It's, it's really impressive to me. You've been here since 1992. I mean, that's a long time. You've seen a lot. You've learned a lot, and you've changed a lot for the better. I mean, it's a lot of impact. So, one thing I like to ask everybody that I talk to for for the show, um, we're the Union of Concerned Scientists, right? Well, so. Ms. Margaret, why are you concerned? I have asthma, and I come from a family who always been engaged. All right, they have always been engaged at the church, social clubs. Somebody gets sick, somebody needs some housing, or somebody needs a job. I always had, I had a family that always been engaged. I have carried on that same tradition from my elders in my family, on both sides of the family, on my mother's side and my father's side. They have always been engaged. And with the era of, of civil rights and the development of, of African-American studies, um, with the era of having the Black Panthers, the era of the Great Strike, those things have contributed to me to be where I am right now. So I guess I guess come from this family of people who stood up, who stood up for the underdogs and made complaints. My parents, uh, in the '60s, when they were building barge, so we lived on the borderline of San Francisco and Daly City. My parents fought the state of California around eminent domain for them to get a fair market price for their house. So. That was my one of my first real activities. Go knock on doors. That's how you do it. That's how you build activists. And- yes, yeah, so that's how that's my story. And I so I've been involved in multiple reform or transmission projects over fifty years. Are you at all concerned about the next generation? Are they gonna carry it forward? Well, it all depends on who is supporting them to ask the right question. Around the actions, the activities and the activities advocacy who is supporting it because you can get caught up real easy if you don't have a baseline real black baseline of an orientation because people will tell you anything to get you out the way or to misuse you 
So, you know, how did you find your internal strengths if you're going to be in, if you're going to do this work? And that's part of my role. How do I support you, mentor you, and give you a pathway of doing this? Because it didn't come easy for me. Yeah. I didn't go to college for none of this. <laughs> you learned it all on the job. <laughs> I learned all this on the job. Wow. I can't, I tell everybody, I came to a meeting and I never left. This is the last time I get to thank Rich Hayes for production help, as he is moving on from UCS after 30 years of tirelessly fighting the good fight. Rich, you're genuinely irreplaceable, and I will sincerely miss working with you so, so much. Thanks again to Omari Spears and the UCS Clean Transportation team for production help on this episode, and to Anthony Eyring for our multimedia magic. Keep on trucking, science pals.